Welcome to Just Think, the podcast. The podcast where we don't want to tell you what to think. We just want to encourage you to do it. We are three friends that came from across the political spectrum who were tired of partisan politics and were alarmed at what we saw happening in our country, including the growing political divide. But we found as we challenged ourselves to recognize our own biases, to put them aside, we were absolutely united in our pursuit for the truth. And that's why we started this podcast to share the conversations we were having around that pursuit and to invite you into our conversation. To encourage you to feel free to ask questions. Search for the answers yourself to say what you think. That's right, because as we like to say, diversity of thought, ideas, and beliefs are welcome here. Asshats are not. (laughs) (laughs) All are welcome as long as you just think. And Amy. And Kristen. And we are joined by a special guest we have been wanting to have on for quite a while, probably since the very beginning of our podcast, actually. I did not know our guest, but my sister did. And I had been following this particular pediatrician for quite a while because she was sharing information that I knew was true, but I could not find it in a lot of uh, in a lot of resources it's certainly not your mainstream resources and she was in charlotte and in that charlotte area and so i was looking for a pediatrician at the time unfortunately she was a little too far for me to drive to go see but i know she is one of the doctors that i have wanted to chat with ever since the pandemic began to talk about the impact of what's been going on in our world the last what 22 months that and, and its impact on our kids. So without further ado, Dr. Cami Benton, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. We want everybody to know more about your background. And so why don't you just tell us how you got started as a pediatrician and what your journey has looked like, you know, kind of the overview up to now. Okay. I'm actually a family physician. So I see kids all the way up to my elderly people. So uh, we see babies at my clinic, but I went to East Carolina, you know, heavy on primary care and then uh, Chapel Hill for residency. And um, I quickly realized now I, I do not come from a medical background. My, my pain was just normal, like blue collar people. Like, so I didn't know anything about holistic medicine at all. I grew up on sodas and sugar toast and like really <laughs> horrible food, like Kool-Aid, bad yeah. stuff. Oh yeah, all the, all the 80s kids. Yes. Oh yeah, I, I didn't I didn't know anything about holistic anything. I just knew that in residency that I, I was bothered by how we question people and we didn't believe people. And so when people would come to me with all these various ailments that were just not within the box, you know, they'd say, hey, I've been reading on Google, this and that. And then the doctor's like, oh no, Dr. Google. And they'd kind of make fun of them. And I'd have to go back and say, oh, we don't know how to handle it. No, sorry. Um, but, but I saw them and it made sense what they were saying. I just was not in a setting that that kind of thinking was promoted or allowed and it was dismissed. And um, that's what quacks do, you know, the crazy people do. So it was, it planted the seed for me, you know, early on that things were not quite right. And then, you know, I, had, I, I met a homeopath in Charlotte. Um, I'm like, wow, there's a whole other field of medicine. I had no clue, you know, um, and, but I was just so busy working you know, 55, 60 hours a week. I didn't, couldn't dream of learning anything else. And then basically I had to start learning because my kids um, had various vaccine reactions. Um, I had vaccine reactions as an adult and weird stuff. I'm like, 
what is going on? Like, why? I felt kind of guilty as a family doctor. I'm like, why can I not help my own kids better? Felt helpless. And then the naturopath actually got my kids on track. I'm like, wait a second. I want to do what they're doing, you know? So then they inspired me to like, I started studying functional medicine. I had always kind of studied nutrition and herbals and home remedies, like grandma's old remedies, you know? Um, and so people like that, you know, like they like to be able to take care of themselves, but we've really disempowered people from feeling like they can. Um, in fact, we judge people. They don't go straight to the doctor for every decision. Um, like you don't know as much as the doctor, you know, and, and I would have 80 year old ladies who will come to see me for a cold. And I'm like, how do they get to 80 years of age and not know how to manage a cold? You know, and so I'm like, I gotta get to teach these people. A doctor means to teach. And so I pretty much early on started making some people kind of angry. And because I was like, no, you don't need an antibiotic for this cold. Let me teach you how. And they were like, they would get mad and, and leave. I'm like, but my job is to teach you how to not need to see me. That is my job. But really the standard of care is to have them see me for every little thing for the rest of their lives to, for people with chronic diseases, they come every three months for the rest of their lives. And I never get them off of meds and they never get better. And that was just so disappointing. So when I discovered functional medicine and there's a whole field of holistic doctors, I mean, I literally cried the first days of the conference. I'm like, I'm not alone. I thought I was crazy, (laughs) you know, before I'm like, no one else thinks like me. And so I was like, oh, there is a whole tribe of people out there who are trying to like change the face of medicine. And so thankful for the medical misadventures of my kids and myself that, you know, I was able to discover a whole field of medicine. And and the deeper I go, I mean, there's integrative medicine is so wide and deep and there's so much cool science behind it. And so um, eventually, I mean, I ended up getting, I had an issue with a local corporation that uh, I worked at for like 10 years. And I basically got fired over the flu shot, the flu vaccine mandate. And um, that's his own long story. But yeah, I basically fought that all the way to the top. Literally, I took it to the CDC. Um, I found the CDC medical uh, division influenza, like she's the influenza division medical director of the CDC. And she actually agreed there's no good science behind it. She's like, you're right. She's like, there's no good science. We're going to, we're going to pause there because this is important because we have this conversation and I know Kristen being in the ER for 17 years, the, the whole mandate for her to take the flu shot. Okay. So, so, so Dr. Benton, you're saying, were you being told you had to, as, as an, as an, as an employee of this corporation that you had to take the flu shot, you said, I've had an adverse reaction to a vaccine in the past. Therefore I want an exemption. And they said no. And so you go to the head of the CDC who leads up the the whole program of the, I guess the flu vaccine program. And what did she say you're right about? Let me take a little step back. So they actually, this is kind of early on. This is back in 2005, January of 2015 that I actually got let go. Uh, It said no cause officially. Officially is no cause. Um, Legally is no cause, but I know what it was for. Anyway, I had actually never had the, flu but like once in my life and so but I, I took I volunteered for the flu shot three years in a row when they started pushing it it wasn't mandated yet and then I just physically stayed sick for months on end and then an infectious disease doctor said it was like serum sickness and so then um I was having a prolonged serum sickness I'm like okay so when they started mandating it at that time we didn't have to get exemptions you could just take it or wear a face mask and um which was really just coercive because the flu shot is totally ineffective. 
And so it was just purely coercive methods, right? So anyway, so that's when I started fighting it. And it was interesting that the people in charge did not know the science. Because when I asked him, I was like, what's the science behind what you're doing? I'm going to tell you the story because it's just funny. He's like, tell me what the science is behind this mandate. And this is the guy who's over the whole corporation who's creating this mandate. He says, I don't really know, but the major organizations recommend it. So I, and he wrote all the organizations out. So I wrote them all. Please tell me what your um, science is that you are standing behind in you know, vaccination, uh, mandatory vaccination of healthcare workers. Most people didn't respond. The American Academy of Pediatrics responded. We don't have anything on our website. Have you checked out the NIH? All right, I had I saved that email. Yeah, it's great. And um, the only one that gave me any science was the American Hospitalist Association, which was using a nursing home study that uh, was a small study and, and it showed the difference between the vaccinated versus the unvaccinated. And there was a decreased death, but not due to flu. It had the same amount of flu and flu-related deaths. So they were using that one study to justify the entire nation to have to be forced vaccinated for this flu vaccine. So um, I was- Feels very familiar. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, you think? Yeah. <laughs> so along the way, I went to a, a functional medicine uh, conference out in California and there was a doctor sitting beside me. We were introducing ourselves. She's like, she's a senior medical official at the CDC sitting beside me. God works beautifully, right? Yeah. So of course that person was meant to sit beside me. So I'm like, hey, actually I first said, what are you doing here? You're like a spy? She's like, yeah, kind of. And she was super nice. She's like, yeah, kind of. I'm just sitting here to see what you guys are talking about these days. I'm like, so what do you think about the flu shot? She's like, oh, she's like, it's good. It's a good thing. I'm like, do you know the studies behind the flu shot? She's like, uh, no. I'm like, so I will tell you. And so I told her the studies, her jaw <laughs> dropped. She's like, I really thought we'd have good studies behind it. I just assumed. Senior medical official at the CDC. So I was like, I want your contact. And that's when she gave me the contact for this uh, doctor at the CDC. And that I've been trying to get rid of, you know, in touch with for like several years. So they would just not return my messages. So um, I literally hid in the closet when I was working in Lincolnton <laughs> to talk to this guy. I was expecting to be creamed. And um, so I talked to her and, and I was like, okay, so I've got these studies. They're doing mandates. I go through the studies and she literally went, yep, 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 yep. And at the end, I'm like, all right, rebuttal. What's, what, what's your rebuttal? She's like, no, no rebuttal. I'm like, people are being fired across the country over this flu vaccine and it's not effective. So she's like, you're right. There'll never be a good flu vaccine because it mutates every year. We have to guess a year in advance. There's hundreds of strains. And she's like, you just can't do it. It doesn't work for the flu vaccine. I'm like, but you guys are in charge of public health. She's like, listen, I'm in the military. I'm doing what I'm told. And that was the response. And like, why did I not like record this conversation? I was so mad at myself, right? So um, when, the, I'll skip over a lot of other details, but at the very end, it was like December 31st of 2014, I sent an email to that head doctor. I'm like, hey, dear doctor, such and such. I um, hope you had a wonderful Christmas. I don't know if you heard that yet against the flu vaccine is only 19% effective. So I'm wondering, since you really care about patient safety, are you going to make everyone wear a face mask? Since no one's protected, it is about patient safety, right? Merry, uh, Happy New Year, and then I signed my name. And that Monday, I was gone. I was happy as could be. I mean, I hated that place. So um, I had a good four-month severance package, and, um, and I delayed it. And I, I studied literally vaccines like five days a week for six hours a day for that entire time. And that's when, because that's when I was waking up because of my kids that had all these vaccine reactions. 
And I was realizing, I thought if someone had a vaccine reaction, you just tell the doctor and then they deal with it and, you know, you take care of them and you just put in their chart. That was not the case. Like at that point still, I had not been trained on VAERS. No one I talked to knew about VAERS. I didn't know about VAERS until, um, so I never I knew three girls. Yeah, I didn't know. And so, okay, um, and that's important, right? Because here we have an ER nurse and a family physician, both of whom highly educated, passed all their tests, highly experienced, and neither of you knew about VAERS. Even though by law, if someone reports a reaction they believe is, is attributed to the vaccine, you're supposed to, but you were not, you didn't even know it existed. I want people to understand that this has been going on for decades, since 1980, what, 1986, when they said you can't hold these vaccine uh, companies liable, that even the medical community, your experts that we trust, are not taught about theirs. I think everybody needs to understand that. Okay, sorry. Go ahead, Dr. Uh, yeah, exactly. At that time, I don't think it was like, so my oldest, she had had multiple as a baby, but we're trained, a lot of abnormal things are normal. So we're trained that pathology is common, but it's really not, it might be common, but it's pathological. And so even I was trying, I remember seeing her reactions as a baby, like, ooh, that's intense. Well, they say this is normal. They say this is normal. So I watched my own kid have multiple reactions until her five-year vaccines where she had bigger neurologic reactions. It was like in our face. We couldn't ignore it anymore. So it wasn't until probably a year after that that I discovered even, it was even after that I discovered bears. So, and I also had to beg and plead for this to be put into the chart because it was not put into the chart. And that's the other part, part too, is that doctors in California are being like charged with felony charges for fraud if they give too many medical exemptions and if they don't have all the old medical records on the chart, when most of the time there's nothing in the medical records because the doctors refuse to put it in there. And so that was my, my facing the gaslighting and really the rejection on, as a patient. And, and fortunately, I can say, I don't think I ever did that to anyone. If I did, I'm sorry, but I was definitely, I had actually a fair amount of people who didn't vaccinate because I'm like, well, it's your kids. <laughs> you know, even when I didn't know, I was like, these are your kids. Like, I'm support you. And then over time, I was these kids are healthier than the rest of the kids. Like, I, that's, I, I did start noticing that even before I started putting two and two together. I'm like, these kids are usually pretty healthy. I hardly ever see them. They're fine. There's a physician that actually did a study in his practice. I don't know what his name is. Y'all may have even been familiar with it. I think it was on the high wire or something. And it's a physician that, and he tracked it because he doesn't mandate, you know, th there are practices. Paul Thomas? Paul what Thomas? It, Paul maybe, Thomas? Maybe. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Okay. Vaccine friendly plan. It, yeah, but he tracked it. it. You know, like where he looked and he saw, I mean, he showed the graphs of like the kids who had gotten vaccinated and it showed like the ways of asthma, um, diabetes, obesity, ADHD. ADHD, like a lot of those, right? I mean, All the neurologic stuff. Yes. It was Paul Thomas and he actually, he got heavily investigated and harassed by the Oregon Medical Board. And because um, he was trying to release this data and it was actually, he temporarily lost his license completely when he published the data in a peer reviewed journal. And, um, but the thing is he actually had an outside auditor to come in and look at all the data and they had to leave him alone on that because it was, that accurate. data was correct. It was accurate. And so they, they, they had to drop the whole thing, even though he's still, they're still harassing, they're getting him on, that's what they do. They, they can't get him legally on that. So they go through and like, like nitpick on documentation they they nitpick um on that so anyway so that was basically my wake-up call to this and not just on and i have gratitude for this that my 
I remember going into my five-year-old shot. So like I already knew, started like connecting it, but I didn't know, even then I was a family physician practicing, trained to give vaccines. And I didn't know I had a choice. So I literally prayed before I went in saying, please God, let her not have such a reaction that I cannot manage this. Oh my God. Right. So that tells you like, that tells you something. (laughs) That tells you something about the cognitive dissonance, how hard it is to get out of this, this dogmatic belief system around vaccines. This isn't science. That's not science. Like I'm going in knowingly harming my kid. Believe me, I had to do some work on forgiveness, self-forgiveness for that. And a lot of moms do have to go through a lot of like working on guilt and self-forgiveness, but especially me as a family physician, I was a doctor. How did I not know? I didn't know. Well, and this is literally how little we're trained. I think that, well, I think it also goes back to, well, go ahead, Holly. Well, I think this is a good time to point out if you've heard anything that Dr. Benton has shared or we have shared and you've already said, oh, they're anti-vaxxers. Okay, first of all, not true. Um, um, that's a huge label put on people to shame and discredit, okay? Right. Um, what what I think all of us have come to the conclusions that I don't even know all of Dr. Benton's stories and she doesn't know ours, but we have an awareness now that there's more that needs to be known. There are things that are unknown to most parents and there's a lot of shaming involved if you even question. And what this podcast exists for is to tell you if you are made to feel that you can't question something, then it's probably not the truth. The truth right. can stand scrutiny. It can stand up to scrutiny. It can stand up to questions and testing. And then there'll be the argument that is, well, if you make parents vaccine hesitant, we're going to have the reemergence of all the childhood diseases. So what that is, is fear and fear is what breeds control. So if someone's afraid, then they want to control you to mitigate the fear. And what I want you to hear from Dr. Benton right now is she was as a parent seeing this and still afraid to challenge the status quo. But to what cost are we willing to not challenge it? That's my question. What are we, how far are we going to let this go as as an aunt of a vaccine injured nephew severely? Who had those reactions that Dr. Benton mentioned? Those things where the mom is going, oh, he's really not tolerating these well, but they say it's normal until his two, I think it was his two-year shots where it sent him into banging his head against the wall, walking around the perimeter of a room, staring at it constantly. I mean, this was a very normal child that suddenly was not because of neurological uh, response. Okay, so I just have to interrupt and say that because I know Dr. Benton is people listen sometimes. If anyone thinks for a second you question vaccinations and, and the risk benefit, then they, they start to shut down. That's called cognitive dissonance. Open your mind to get all the facts here because you, you don't know if you or someone you love is going to need them, right? Well, I think another point is just to remember too, as a parent, when you have that gut feeling, I had it every time. I remember Amy and I would talk every time before, and even one of my other nurse friends, um, we would talk before we went, are you going to get the vaccine? What are you going to do? What do you get? You know, like it, when you have that, that gut feeling, something's going on, something's going on, you know, and there's just something to that. And it's really bad when you are scared to even talk about it. And one thing that they, you know, in school and, you know, everything that, and I remember hearing vaccine injuries and, and I kept thinking, so, I mean, and they didn't touch on it much because a lot of them were like, they would dismiss it, you know, but because like you said, Dr. Benton, that 
they keep saying, oh, this is normal. This is normal. Or what if that's already going on with them and it's just showing up now? Because with kids, they're developing. You don't know, is this just the part of their neuro neurological development? Or is it from the vaccine? I've always been like, well, how did they, how can they prove it was the vaccine? How can they prove it? Like I was always the skeptical of the people who said that their kids were vaccine injured. Uh, and then now looking back, you're like, oh, I wonder if that's why Sawyer, my middle child has allergies. I wonder if, you know, because I wasn't paying attention. It was probably subtle, you know, maybe he just has them, but who knows when it started because I wasn't paying attention. You know, I did get my kids vaccinated. I'm not anti-vax. I delayed the vaccines, but I can tell you right now what I've learned after the past year and a half, I'm not getting any more. And <laughs> I'm not getting any more. So. Well, and I think it's the education of, and, and this is what we would advocate for, is that there needs to be informed consent. And so Dr. Ben, I want to ask you about that. Informed consent means you know the risk benefits before you agree to any type of medical procedure, medicine, what have you, right? How do you see informed consent in our traditional Western med medicine model? <laughs> I love how she's laughing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I would, before I forget to plug, I am on the, I was a, an original board member for Physicians for Informed Consent back in 2015 oh, um, out of I California. I know that. Yes. And uh, so we have been putting out, if you want to check out physiciansforinformedconsent.org, it has really good patient uh, information on the vaccines, on um, like the vaccine reaction, on the disease. And um because I think to do in true informed consent, you have to understand what is the risk of the disease. You know, not all diseases are created alike, not all vaccines are created alike. And because people, because of the dogma, people put vaccines as like, here's the temple, here's the vaccines, you know, and there are some vaccines that are more effective, some are less effective, some are more dangerous. Like, why are we vaccinating against hepatitis B, which is sexually transmitted or transmitted by IV drug use to infants? I thought I was being wild and crazy and waiting to two months at that time. Like, we would just say that for two months of age, you know, which why did I vaccinate my kid at all for that? I mean, I wasn't thinking, you know, no one's thinking, you know, this is not okay. They don't do this in other countries, you know, so the physicians for informed consent, we're trying, it's taken a long time because we're a small still operation and they're coming out with one thing at a time the best, as fast as we can. Just COVID put a, we were trying to go through each vaccines for children, but now the COVID's come up. So now we're having to keep up with all the changing things for that, but it, that's worth as uh, a site worth following. Anyway, so informed consent, I can tell you this as a doctor before, I mean, this is like what most doctors do. We just leave it up for the nurses. Like yep. we just put it here, here's, <laughs> here's, yeah, here's the checkbox for what they're due for. And like, you're going to get these vaccines. You hand it to the nurse, the nurse gives the vaccines and you get a little piece of paper usually that gives the risk and benefits, which is basically nothing. You might get a little arm soreness, here's some fever. Um, see you later. And, and there were, there used to be more extensive informed consent forms that were given out a long time ago, but they were thinking it was causing more concern. So they simplified it to I one page. Why. Yeah, you wonder why, right? <laughs> so there was really no informed consent. I mean, I didn't give it. I admit, I didn't give it because you're not trained. It's just what you do. It's, it is that dogmatic thing. It's, you don't question it. No one questions it. We learn, here's a vaccine schedule. You know, you, you, you know, you might have some people question it. They're crazy anti-vaxxers, tolerate them. Maybe we can get in what we can get in. Now they don't even tolerate them things since 2015. Um, so there is no informed, you're not allowed to have informed consent. You're not really allowed because if you give true informed consent, then you're considered an anti-vaxxer because then you make people question it and you're a danger to society. 
That's the real truth of it all. And um, so even back in 2015, when um, you know the CDC whistleblower came out, so if you haven't looked up the CDC whistleblower with William Thompson, mm-hmm. um, they did a whole movie called Vax, V-A-X-X-E-V. And if you look it up, they're like, oh, it's a terrible anti-vax movie. But it really goes into a very important study that uh, William Thompson was a part of that they um, really alter the data about the vaccine. This is the quintessential study that vaccines do not cause autism. But the reality is that there's only, they only studied MMR, they only studied uh, thimerosal uh, for vaccines and autism that they acknowledge. So vaccines don't cause autism, period. But they've only studied those two things. Right. And for those of you out there who don't know, and a lot of you probably do, when my mom was a kid, she had 10 doses of vaccines. Really, and only half the country even got that. The wealthier ones got that. It was not even close to 100% vaccination rate then. By the time I'm 48, so by the time I came around, I had about 24 doses of vaccines. Now, children have 24 doses of vaccines by six months of age, 46 doses by six years of age, 70 plus doses by 18. Now let's add in the three or four COVID vaccines per year to make it work, right? So Hmm. they've never studied six doses of vaccines versus five. There's one um, AAP thing saying, oh yeah, we didn't find any difference before and after, which is ridiculous because we know that from the 1980s, 12% of kids had a chronic disease state. Now 54% of kids have a chronic disease state. We rank 33rd in the world for um, longevity by age five. 33 wow. in one of the wealthiest, most uh, w- w- countries with access to healthcare, right? And we're ranked 33rd. And also, Dr. Ben, where do we rank on vaccines? Like, uh, country, like as well, a- we're the most vaccinated country in the world. We Absolutely. are the most. They we must- are the most vaccinated country in the world, yes. Okay. And then, because yes. these are the things that, I mean, listen, guys, we, we always tell people, we don't want to tell you what to think. We want to just challenge you to do it. I want you to go look these things up. Go look up the rise in autism. Look at the rise in ADHD. Look at the rise in peanut allergies and allergies. Autoimmune disease. Autoimmune. All the, um, what type one? Di- diabetes. SIDS. Even SIDS, I've wondered. Why do we have such a high SIDS rate with our infants? Holly, there's an interesting study. Um, it's an NIH thing. You can look it up um, on death rates, SIDS related to vaccines. And it was, they covered a couple of years. I can't remember the exact details, but it does come up. You have to kind of look for it. I can find it for you if you end up needing, if someone else really yes. wants it. Anyway, they, they look at a couple of years of, of studies on VAERS, where they look for SIDS related deaths related to the vaccine. In the body of this study, it says 79% of children who died from SIDS had uh, 79% had one or more vaccines that day. In the conclusion, in the conclusion, however, we did not see any concerning findings that compared SIDS to vaccines. That was the conclusion. So if you go straight to the conclusions, there's no connection. But in the body, it says 79% of kids who died from SIDS had one or more vaccines that day. Said that's a that's a huge Amy just said I want to do over. I want I want to do over. I want to do over with my kids. Can I, can I start over? But still keep them, but start over. Can I can I erase can I erase all my vaccines? Oh my gosh. Oh, you know what? This is why it's so important for informed consents for vaccines, though. You can't take a vaccine away. This right. is why it is so important to just know, like, and I think that's where I was like, when I would struggle so much, it's not like I would struggle, like giving them a dose of Tylenol, you know, or whatever, but it's just, this is where you're like, you cannot take this back. It is a big decision. It's a lot bigger decision than people think it is. 
you know, and we, we researched that. We researched mattresses. We researched baby yes. seats. Yes. We researched, you know, which mobile is the best color, black and white. Do you right. love that? <laughs> but we don't research anything about the vaccines because you're like, well, you see, my doctor did. The doctor doesn't research. I promise you, the doctor doesn't research. The doctors that research this end up becoming quacks according to society because we wake the hell up. Yep. We wake the heck up. <laughs> and um, we're just like, wait a second, something's not right here. Something's not adding up, you know? So then suddenly, even though I've researched for years, my colleague that's never lifted a book on a vaccine related subject is considered an expert more than me. I've had actually a biology teacher argue with me that because I was questioning the flu shot, I was not qualified as a physician to question vaccines. I need to be an immunologist or a vaccinologist, which I've never met a vaccinologist, but um, you know, I have to be that to be able to question it, but she could be a biology teacher, which I have all respect. I'm not dismissing the teacher, but she was questioning my, my right to question it and like angry. So I've had people angry at me. I don't have the right to question it. I'm an expert to give it until I question it. Then suddenly I fall from grace. That's what's the reality. So then doctors, and they realize that doctors are, we're followers by nature. Like we're suck ups. We're A students. We want to be the gunner. Oh oh my gosh, please. I thank you for saying this. I swear. I think this is one of our biggest issues is that the ego, they're they're followers with massive egos. And please, no, I'm not insulting you, Dr. Benton, or all the other doctors out there. But I am saying that the um, educational system has created it, it is conducive to wanting to bring in that kind of student, right? Straight A students who can regurgitate, they can memorize, they can do all those things and they get big egos because they're so smart, but they cannot seem to think outside of the box or deviate from a status quo or an established norm, right? It's a, it's a weird phenomenon, but do you not think that's happening in the medical community? happened forever forever really and that's really when you look in science throughout millennia every time a scientist came out with a new idea they burn them at the stake you know they they lose they they lose all their credibility until they're vindicated years later right that's just what keeps giving me hope but (laughs) but we're trained early on anyway questions there's a quack there's a quack there's a quack well these i'm an a student i'm gonna be a quack i don't wanna be like them yeah. And then as soon as we start having to deal with a medical board for these issues, like you look at Paul Thomas, they make examples of doctors who question it and they make their lives hell. So the doctor's like, I know so many doctors are privately messaging me on Facebook saying, thanks for doing what you're doing. I'm so afraid to speak up. You know, they're in offices giving vaccines, but they're terrified of being found out because they're like, I've got to feed my family. I'm a sole provider. I don't know how else to like survive. And I'm like, you do like me open. I, I, once I realized, I was like, I can't do informed consent in a 15 minute visit. Yeah. I can't do that. Right. And so once I realized that, it's like, and then I found myself that short for a very short time, the people that were more educated, I was able to give better informed consent to. If someone just didn't seem to care, I basically just gave them all the vaccines because I would be held responsible if I did not give that person, you know, all the vaccines because they didn't understand you know what I'm saying like yes it, it became this torn like and then I was like oh my gosh I'm being prejudiced without the intention of being prejudiced it was more like trying to figure out how to navigate informed consent in that 15 minute visit and then I was having to pick and choose and then I'm like I can't do this I can't do this anymore so that's why I opened my own practice I was like I can't give proper informed consent and sleep at night 
and yeah. know how to do the best thing. Now I have people still in my practice who still want vaccines. And now if they want all the vaccines, it's like, just go to a regular pediatrician. I can care, take care of your sick business. And I have some people who do that. You know, but I have some, I just want to pick and choose. I want to do the hip or I want to do this or whatever. You know, I give informed consent and they want it. Okay, we, we offer it, you know? So it's not like I still don't give vaccines even in my holistic practice. If you, I'm respecting the parent and their concerns, um, period. Whether you want a vaccine or not. So I'm not anti-vaxxer, I'm not stopping. Although I am pretty much, think it's criminal to give COVID vaccines to children. I think well, it's I, absolutely I criminal. Question, um, I have a question just in general about vaccines and, and pediatricians or you know mainstream medical establishments. Is there some kind of like a, from somewhere else higher up the corporation or somewhere like a quota or like something where you're, that was my, yeah. you're incentivized or you're docked or you're in trouble if you have a certain number of kids in your practice and they're not vaccinated like are you like like I've heard police officers like they have to have a certain quota of like tickets speeding tickets that they give out right. a month and so that's why like at the end of a month you'll see more cops out patrolling giving speeding tickets because they, they have a certain amount they got to get out at least what I've heard but I'm just saying is that is like what is the criteria coming from top down to you guys with vaccines so it's, it's different for pediatricians versus family physicians that's why it's somewhat easier to find a family physician who will tolerate delayed vaccine schedules over the pediatricians. So for family medicine, for us, at least back when I was in insurance medicine, the flu vaccine and pneumonia vaccine for adults were followed. Not, we didn't have any kid vaccines that were followed. So we were, I was harassed every quarter. Dr. Bitten, you're not giving enough flu vaccines. I was like, I'm not giving any <laughs> on purpose, you know? Um, but, I, but Dr. Bitten, you got to, we're going to start docking your pay. They never actually did dock my pay but they kept threatening to dock my pay. But they can't um, dock your pay for that? They, they threatened to. Now, I don't know if now they're doing that, but there, there are quality of care measure bonuses. And so there are quality of care measures. You check the box and I've ordered enough mammograms and pap smears and all that kind of stuff, flu shots. And all that, if you meet a certain criteria, you get a bonus. Now, pediatricians is mostly you're related to, I think, asthma um, and then the childhood vaccines. And so there are insurance companies that do give bonuses for a certain percentage of the, vac of the population vaccinated. So if they don't have that certain percent fully vaccinated on time, then they don't get the bonus. And pediatricians um, make the least of any physician out there. So the majority of their revenue comes from the vaccine schedule, the two, four, six, nine, 12, 15. Wow. Because if you didn't have the vaccine schedule, you wouldn't have kids coming in that often, number one. So you lose the visit, but they get a surcharge on all the vaccines. And so there was actually, and I have it saved somewhere in my um, saved folders. There was actually a pediatrician's office up um, in, I think it was New Jersey, up Northeast somewhere. And she put on Facebook, she, I felt sorry for her because she was clearly clueless as to how messed up this was, but she made it a big announcement. And she said, hey, you know, I'm going to have to start mandating all childhood vaccines, even Gardasil and flu vaccine, or I'm going to have to close my doors. I'm not making enough money. And if I don't do this, I cannot keep my doors open. So then of course that kind of went viral on all of our team, like that's unethical, like you, you're vaccinated to keep your doors open. That's not okay. Of course, then her, her patients got on and defend her. She's amazing, wonderful. I'm sure she's a good human, you know, <laughs> but she literally put out there in writing, hey, I've got like, I'm literally gonna have to close my doors if I don't make everyone get all their vaccines. So there's the virtue signaling. Oh, we got to keep her in business. Let's go get our vaccines. We can't let her lose her job. She's saying she even, she even acknowledged even the flu and Gardasil knowing that people have a lot of concerns about that. And she's like, you're going to have to even do those because I got to keep my doors open. Yeah. Wow. 
It really is. And now listen, and I asked my pediatrician, um, what well, was the, one of the nurse practitioners in there last, last year. And uh, cause Knox was due for his, um, well, well check. And he had to get, he was supposed to get his shots before kindergarten or maybe it was kindergarten or first, whatever it was. And, um, it was kindergarten. And I went in there and I said, I know you're going to think I'm crazy because my other kids have been vaxxed. I did do delayed, you know, and I didn't do, you know, whatever, but they were vaxxed. I said, but I've been doing some research over these past couple months in quarantine stuck inside with these kids. And I've learned a lot of things, you know? And, um, I said, can you tell me, give me more informed consent. And, uh, you know, I said, can you give me a little bit more information and can you convince me to change my mind? Cause right now what I've learned, I don't want this, you know, she couldn't, she was going to give me, she said, well, I can tell you what our physician would say, or I can have him call you. Or I, I said, you don't have anything for like when parents actually have a question and she's like, basically it's the one page insert, you know? Or she gave me the whole vaccine insert. So you want to talk about if you want to read all that, you're going to say no. If you actually get that vaccine insert, that's what she gave me. The vaccine insert inserts and the one page thing. She couldn't tell me anything herself. She was like directing me to the CDC. I said, besides the CDC, which I pointed out several studies that were not good, you know, that did not, that actually validated my concerns. Um, and she, and she still couldn't convince me and they never called me about it. And so I still haven't gotten the, the, the other ones most most of the information and that's what I was so shocked about that I learned was right there in front of our faces on the CDC website the FDA website and they expect us not to look there but it's there the information people think oh you got it from which I'm not against natural news or health impact news but it's not just from there I mean it's literally from government websites fda.gov cdc.gov is where I got a lot of my information from this and wait a second this is not us. This is not so for the parents out there, a couple books that might help uh, with informed consent. One is called Dissolving Illusions by oh, Suzanne Humphreys. <laughs> yeah, Dissolving Illusions. So Dissolving Illusions by Suzanne Humphrey. She's an actual nephrologist. It goes into the history of disease. And I think once, because that's most people are like, what about polio? What about smallpox? And we're all terrified of every, we're terrified of measles. But then when you find out in 1962, there was already a 98% reduction in death due to measles prior to the vaccine. And we know that 80% of deaths can be reduced by giving high dose vitamin A. So what if we gave the remainder of those people high dose vitamin A and work on nutrition of our nation's kids? We don't have to do anything at all. So oh, the vaccine, that. imagine that, right? So those are the facts that if we knew, I didn't know as a doctor. So if all you see are the, the kids in Africa that are dying and they're malnourished, and kids in Africa want it. How dare you question it? Wait a second. Well, but we're not in Africa. We're in the United States. So which that which viruses do we need to worry about? Which do we not? So she doesn't. I will tell you the first chapters on smallpox are kind of long, but it covers three hundred years of history. So if you get totally bored, skip over to polio. <laughs> but it becomes like a page turner. All right. Then there's a tale of two sides, written by John Philip Ryan, which is really Bob Sears. He actually came out with a different name trying to get it passed because you know his name is forbidden out there. And, but it's written in a very story-like book for your person who doesn't like science that much. So there's a lot of parents that like the science intimidates them. This is very written in a very lovely, easy to read format, more like a story form. So a tale of two sides. Um, and then you're like, but what do I do if I don't do the vaccine? What do I do? There's a book called The Unvaccinated Child, A Treatment Guide. And it gives you the treatments you can do. 
So these are just top three. They're still really good ones. And if you want to know about the politics of it, the vaccine epidemic by Mary Holland is fantastic. Those are all rabbit hole, start going down the rabbit hole books. And then, so all that stuff prepares you for what's happened for the last two years in COVID. So when COVID happened, um, although I was saddened by it and I was like, kind of, you know, you knew it's coming because Bill Gates has been warning us about this pandemic that's going to kill millions of people for like 10 years. And I knew something's coming up. This guy is like bad. And I already knew about the event 201 um, prior to the COVID, the pandemic. So when, so when this happened, I'm like, I was also not terribly surprised either. And, and so all the, really this, all this stuff has happened in the last two years. They've been preparing for this for years, decades, decades. But even in 2015, the Department of Health and Human Services listed um, objectives for the um, 2020 Healthy Human Adult Vaccine Initiative. And the third objective on, uh, out of four was to create community demand for adult vaccines. And so that started, that initiative started in February of 2015. And so that's when the pediatrician started firing kids. We were not having any kind of comebacks of any diseases, although the media made it sound like it was. It was not um, any different. Even that measles epidemic was 600 kids, 43% were, were actually vaccine measles strain, not wild strain. And, um, and we've, we've always had outbreaks. It was, it was eradicated in one year in 2000 where there were 60 cases. Um, was never really ever zero cases in this country ever. And the year, year before, year after, it was just that one. So then they were saying, hey, we eradicated and all these anti-vaxxers are bringing it back. You see the games they play, yes. you know? So, so they've been preparing us, like firing, firing people. They were already dividing uh, families. They were dividing people in churches over the childhood vaccines. And what that does, it makes the older people fear of the younger people. So then that makes them run out. I got to go get the vaccines because I can't have to protect myself from them. So they were rolling out the adult vaccine schedule in 2020 because we have to be lifetime customers. Right. Meanwhile, we have the, our actual survival rates going down. Our longevity is going down for the first time in history. And yet we're the most dependent on pharma than anyone. We we're like make up 5% of the world's population, yet we make up, I can't remember the percentage. I think it's like 75% of the yeah, you know, pharmaceutical products that we consume in this country, yet we're the unhealthiest. We And for adolescents, by the way, we rank the lowest of all industrialized nations for longevity by adolescents. I mean, it wow. is, we're number one for infant and maternal mortality in the developed world, number wow. one. Number and do you know what they do? I went back to a residency talk about, about this. They actually, they mentioned all the same statistics that I'm throwing out, but their reason for it was people are too poor and they don't want to be healthy. And uh, we need to create more programs from the government to uh, get them healthy. And you're like, but what is healthy? Like they're, the residency programs, preventative medicine fellowships are really just teaching more about colonoscopies, pap smears, which I'm not against, you know, those screening tools, but that's not preventative medicine. Preventative medicine is health, it's nutrition. It's um, our environment, not having mold. It's, it's um, teaching kids what, what's real food, what's not real food, like, it, which we're not even doing that in the schools. We're not honoring any How to of this. read a label. How to read a How label. To read a label. Like, you know? That's not, that's preventative medicine. This is not what the Western medicine sees. Or each thing that Western medicine sees as preventative is more money-making opportunities. That's it. Because <laughs> truly, like, if, if this COVID, if they really cared about prevention with COVID, they'd be like, 
All right, we want you outside exercise and get some sunshine. You need vitamin D because vitamin D, if your level is over 50 for vitamin D, you have zero chance essentially of dying from COVID. So everyone needs to be getting vitamin D checks from their primary care doctors. But most primary care doctors don't even know even how to replace it. They don't even know that you need to give vitamin K2 with D if you're going to take it chronically. This is an important thing. Vitamin D by itself don't give. Vitamin K2 with D helps your body to absorb it. And um, sometimes you need magnesium and vitamin A, but doctors are not trained in this stuff, right? So um, why are we doing that? Instead, we just sent everyone inside. I, heck, I saw commercials for sunscreen for indoors, you know, because we can get sun rays from indoors. We're like blocking every possible normal thing. They closed off children's playgrounds. I saw someone catch a playground on fire to keep kids from being outside, oh right? So we're not doing, and, and you know, immune supplementation and do it when, when the, when the pandemic first started happening, there's this MDR, it's a medical desk reference where they give sort of updated pharmaceutical things. And I, an article was um, anything besides the vaccine or any new antivirals is absolutely unacceptable for COVID and doctors um, promoting uh, natural immunity or immune support might be subject to um, investigation. That was like a warning to us like March of 2020, we were told only a vaccine or an approved uh, medicine was going to be okay. And then you find as soon as they start, like when hydroxychloroquine comes out, which is just so you know, it's not necessarily the hydroxychloroquine that's important. It's the zinc ionophore, which pushes the zinc into the cell. And this is zinc that actually really is the important thing. But as soon as they started squashing that, I'm like, that our government bought up all the extra doses. And then they had, they basically set us up against each other already. It's like all these anti-vaxxers are going to leave all these people with autoimmune diseases without their necessary medicines. Well, the government did that, not us, because the government literally bought it up to keep us from doing it, right? Oh they bought up stores. There were several hydroxychloroquine factories in China that were burned down to the ground. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Remember that? Yes. Yeah. So there's, there's, no, there's no other. And then you have ivermectin come out. They squash it. N-acetylcysteine is an amazing supplement that we've used for decades. It thins the mucus lining. It increases glutathione. The government, the FDA is trying to stop it from being used. They have, Amazon's made it hard to like okay. get. Yeah. Um, thymus and alpha-1 was an injectable by a Chinese study found a decreased risk of death by 50%. And they took that one off the market. So now we can't get that one. Everything we keep trying to do um, to treat COVID they're going after the supplement and they're going after the doctors. I'm actually under investigation right now for promoting ivermectin on Facebook, reported by some pro-vaxxer person from California, but I'm <laughs> under investigation for six months. And I'm like, wait a second, we have the highest death rate in the entire world for COVID. Yep. We have the highest by far. Yep. And yet they're still defending what we're doing. Yep. You know, and they're going after doctors treating. They're going after us for suggesting to support the immune system. And again, I'm not, I'm not going to tell people not, not to, I'm not going to tell other people. I even have some patients who have said, oh my gosh, you can't even get out of the house. Go get the vaccine so you can get out of the house because they're so terrified yes. that they can't live life until they get the vaccine. Go get it. I support you. Here's some immune support for you, right? Yes. But under no circumstances am I getting the vaccine, although I've already had COVID too, which is criminal that they're pushing people with COVID to also get the vaccine. It's just criminal. Right. But anyway, so over my dead body, am I getting it? Like literally, yeah. like I'm willing to risk it all to not get it. I am not going to get, I will not comply ever under any circumstances. Yes. And um, especially the mRNA one. No, 
And, but and I'm 48 years old and my risk of dying is 0.03%. That is considering that in this country, we're the highest death rate in the entire world. We are probably one of the unhealthier nations because we have a lot of metabolic syndrome, meaning that we have people are overweight. And even if you're thin, you might be, what would they call skinny fat metabolically? Yep. Um, <laughs> all the sugar and all the inflammatory foods. Um, but we also refuse to let doctors treat. And we're also using remdesivir in the hospitals. Uh. It's known to have a high mortality rate. It kills your kidneys, causing dialysis. Even the WHO doesn't recommend it. And yet our doctors are standing solidly behind this medicine killing people, Yep. right? So you'd imagine if we could actually treat patients because we've, we've always learned like, well, regular medicine is not always supported the immune system. But if, even if you did support the immune system through a cold, you were not demonized. You know, yeah. any virus, any infection, if you treat early, you do better. Mm-hmm. But there, even the studies that they, they use to say abermectin was bad, they waited intentionally late. And most of those Lancet articles are even retracted with no fanfare. Yep. They were used against us to not be able to prescribe it. But when it was retracted, no one said a word. That's right? important. So we, that's that's the thing. The defamation is already there. And then it's right. like this tiny, like they silently, you know, retract it. You well, know? They dis- and they discredit on purpose. So this is what we need Americans to, to understand. We need the whole world to understand, but we need our listeners to understand is they, there is an intention to, de- to detract the doctors, the virologists, the medicines that, or the supplements that we know. And, and these doctors who are actively treating COVID are saying time and time again, we're seeing clinically that these things work. I had someone text me last night and say, did you see the, this is someone from another part of the country. Did you see the Joe Rogan video with Dr. McCullough? Amazing. 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 And said, why, why is his opinions and research not taken seriously? That's what he, and I was like, he's the foremost authority, most peer reviewed doctorate, right? I believe in his field, which is cardio in the world. And the world. they just turned him into a clown. The media and the and these forces that are keeping the narrative have turned him, have tried to make him in, into some kind of, like you said, quack. If he's you a- look him up, Holly, if you look him up on Wikipedia, the first thing that comes up, they said um, that he has been known for spreading misinformation of COVID. Yes. I mean, th- this is what's happening. And, yep. and people are like wanting to listen to all these experts. And it's like, who deems this person an expert over another, how are you going to say anybody else is more of an expert than him? Because he's actually done research on therapies. And he said, just like you're saying, Dr. Benton, he's saying like that people have told him, don't talk about therapies because they're so worried that people are going to rely just on therapies and not get the vaccine. But I want people to know whether you're vaccinated or not, you still need to be healthy. So many people are going to be like, so many people, including a lot of my friends and family, they get the vaccine and they think they're fine. They think they don't need to supplement their, their immune system. They, they're like, oh, I got the vaccine. I'm good. I can hug you now. I can go out. I can, I don't need my vitamin D. I can live my normal life. Right. <laughs> but, but the whole thing is you're still going to get sick and it, you can still get the flu. Whether you get your flu vaccine or not, you can still get the flu. You can still get all these okay. other things and COVID, of course. But why not want, the whole purpose is to keep people healthy and from severe disease, hospitalization and death. And so why are doctor, there's another doctor, a frontline doctor did a presentation. His dad um, was, ended up being treated with vitamin C. They had to fight for it. That doctor that ended up 
yielding and be like giving the vitamin C got fired for, for administering vitamin C, high dose vitamin C to his dad. Okay. Why are doctors getting fired for vitamin C and why are they not getting fired for killing people with remdesivir? Right. <laughs> Those are the people who need to be investigated when there is no evidence and science to back up the fact that that is actually helpful. And the science, the studies that we're seeing is showing that it's harmful. How are they using that as their protocol? And there's no early prevention or treatment, early treatment protocol. People are told to go home. And if you get worse, come back. You know, basically you get worse when you're not breathing. And then it's too late. It is too late. Kristen, <laughs> I worked for a telemedicine company. Um, at the beginning of the pandemic, I signed up to work telemedicine, thinking the end of the world is coming. And my as a cash practice, I'm like, maybe I'll do this. So I can protect salaries, blah, blah, blah. So actually, I signed, I signed up for an 18-month contract. And I recently just quit over this fact because by last October, um, they, so when you work, you have like your, your chart, but you have a physician chat room. So they ask each other questions, right? Well, last October I was, had prescribed hydroxychloroquine to a patient because I had not switched over to ivermectin at that time. And then her mother called and got another doctor. And next thing you know, on the physician chat room, oh no, there's one of us prescribing hydroxychloroquine. What an embarrassment to our group. And they all start making fun of me. So they're all like finding out who it is. It's me. And which is fine. I said, I laugh or roll my eyes, like whatever. Within two days, that company came out with a policy against treatment. No one is to treat with hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin or anything else for COVID is not permitted. And I'm like, okay, I just kept doing it. I was like, let them fire me. So I just kept doing it. I guess I, you know, no one complained. So, and they kept saying, uh, occasionally I have some pharmacy call back trying to say, question it. I have to just call it in myself and take care of it because the staff wouldn't help me. I just kept doing it. Then in August, when all those meta-analysis came out showing support for hydroxychloroquine, all the different integrative things, um, I, I showed it to them like, y'all, this is not okay. We're denying care to people. This is part of, if we care in a pandemic, you know, about saving lives, we need to be treating early. That's the whole thing. You don't wait. The standard of care is to, this is truly the standard of care, as you said, Tylenol, hydrate until you can't breathe and go to the hospital. So we're, we're and everyone's isolated. They're terrified. They're all convinced they're going to die. Fear is the number two risk factor for death. Yep. Fear and anxiety is the number two risk factor for death. We have exactly. created this world of fear. We have convinced them they are going to die. Yes. what they die, right? Yep. So anyway, so they're like, thank you for your persistence, but these are the only things you're permitted to do, right? And then, um, so then I was like, and we're watching you. So then I had to like put those patients through my clinic. All right, well, let me just take care of them through my clinic. Then um, when I had COVID in November, I got an email, we got an email about off-label use of medicines. Now, just so y'all know, for, we have been using off-label meds forever. The reason is, is that it's super expensive to get an on-label use. It takes millions and millions and millions of dollars, right? So, but the purpose of that, those would have to be randomized controlled trials, theoretically, placebo studies. There's rarely in vaccines, placebo, true placebos. Um, the, there was a true placebo here for a short amount of time. There's a true placebo in a short amount of time for Gardasil, but in general, vaccines don't use true placebos and people don't know that either. Anyway, so I digress. So anyway, so they said no off-label. Uh, you can use, but they said you could use anything off-label. We trust you. We trust your judgment, but not for COVID. You cannot use anything off-label for COVID. So, which is strange. And I had also just had a conversation. I'm going to go back to this. I just had a conversation with a pharmacist arguing with him about not filling my prescription. He's like, it's not approved for off-label use. I'm like, are you even a pharmacist? Off-label uses don't get approved. That by definition, 
by definition, you can't have an approval of off-label use unless they do the big trial becomes on-label, right? So anyway, so they, they wrote back, I'm like, please tell me what it is that scares you so much about ivermectin, because I can tell you, I got sick with COVID and I had the Delta. I'm pretty sure I had the Delta version. It went straight to my lungs, wheezing the first day. I mean, it, it, went, it was legit, but I used everything, including monoclonal antibodies, which I think are super helpful. Within 36 hours, I was already 80% better. And this thing went straight to my chest. You know, I was coughing, chest tightness, wheezing, straight to my chest, 80% better in 36 hours, thanks to all the things that I did, mm -hmm. right? So I wrote them like, please let me know. I'm, I'm really confused why you're so hell-bent against it. There's no toxic level listed for ivermectin. No. Not in the insert. There's literally no toxic level listed. It's been used for over 35 years, billions of doses, won the prize for Nobel, uh, won a Nobel Prize for it. It's been used safely. And, and, and medicines, they call it the horse pill, but medicines are often used in veterinary medicine all the time. Ironically, the new Merck medicine that's coming out really started out as a horse pill and now it's been made into a human pill, no. which is irony of it. Yes. Oh. No. Yes. So a real horse Merck pill is getting ready to be what they suggest we take for COVID. Oh, I can't wait for right. Jerry, I can't wait for them to talk about this. Right. And I'll be like, right. wait, did you know? <laughs> Did you know? Exactly. So anyway, so I wrote back to him. I was like, tell me what it is. And he wrote back, this is the head director of this national telemedicine company he says, you know, I'm not really worried about the toxicity. You're right. I'm not worried about that. This few poison control calls were not significant, which they were not significant. Anyway, he says the real reasons that we don't want people to have a false sense of hope about treatment and not get the vaccine. So literally he put in writing I cannot treat because people have to get the vaccine. So I'm like, do you know what, sir? You're violating the Nuremberg Code. You are forcing people into having to get an experimental treatment um, for because of your opinion when not everybody needs it or wants it. And it's unethical and you're guilty of criminal negligence. I hope you get charged. Either release me of my contract or I'm going to keep treating COVID patients. So he released me. So that was, uh, I was released in my contract. To be turned in. I mean, I, they all, these are all the doctors though. They these all, are 95% of doctors are actually denying, actively denying medical care. But on top of that, working the telemedicine job this whole year and a half has been enlightening because I am taking care of people that are being turned away by their doctors every day. That mm -hmm. if they're if stiff or sore throat or earache, the doctors refuse to see them. Yep. Refuse to see them. Now in our office, if someone's sick, we keep everyone outside. So we go out there, we if we don't know about COVID, we'll gown up and mask up and all that kind of stuff and go see them outside because we're trying to keep people out of the waiting room in the middle of this pandemic, right? But we still see them. These doctors are literally refusing to see their own patients. They have COVID. Sorry, we won't see you. Sorry, we won't treat you. And these patients are left like, wait, what am I supposed to do? Nothing? Ton on hydrate. We have denied medical care. Doctors deserve to be lose their licenses, but they're going after the people treating COVID. They're going after the ones that are actually, yeah, because we did another Dr. John Murphy out of Arizona. We did an uh, interview with him a couple months back and he's treated, what did he say, guys? Was it, I mean, was it thousands or hundreds, if not thousands of COVID patients, has only lost one, has used the protocol, Dr. Benton, that I know you probably, you know, have used as well. And LCCC, yeah, yeah. Yep, exactly. Well, that's my, that was my question to you. How many have you treated? How many have ended up in the hospital how many have ended up dying you know like it'd be nice to know like do you what are your numbers i wish there were a better data person because i did not actually we've been treating people all year and i have um now five mid-levels and we've treated a lot i don't know 
there have been about, I think, four people I know that have died. Um, but a lot of these people came to us already needing oxygen. Right. You know, and and some of these people couldn't get, like, I don't think it's ivermectin that just no. is the magic cure. I, I think at this point, especially Delta was harder to treat versus the Alpha variant was much easier to treat. The Delta variant, I mean, I had to do nebulizers. I was doing like, you know, I was doing like having people irrigate out your sinuses with like a betadine mm-hmm. drops yeah. or hydrogen peroxide, gargling, because we want to decrease the viral load in the nose and the back of the throat. We've had people doing nebulizers and it seemed crazy, but like you can do iodine, hydrogen peroxide, you can do colloidal silver, nebulizer. I'm like, do that. Do your high dose vitamin D. I mean, I say high dose vitamin D, unless you have a parathyroid issue or a malignancy that has calcium issues, you can do 100,000 units a day of vitamin D for like five days. Because um, they found high dose vitamin D decreases mortality significantly. Just doing nasal rinses with just saline decreases your hospitalization risk by 19 times. So imagine if we if you do all those things that how much we decrease your risk of hospitalization. But a lot of people caused were just wanting the ivermectin. And I don't think they believed us on doing the other stuff or they didn't have a nebulizer. And believe it or not, it's hard to get a nebulizer these days. And even to a Walgreens and Walmart, like we don't have a nebulizer. Like it's hard to get people the nebulizer. So everyone should get a nebulizer off online. I agree. Just have it at your house anyway. So um, the so not everyone, I feel like, I think they, they've been convinced too much on the other side that ivermectin is the savior. Right. You know, right. It's and the combination. That alone is the combination of everything, especially for, for the multi med. We didn't lose a couple. Yes. I did. Now, I did have um, a, an RN from a local hospital. Someone, one of our patients died who I didn't know. And she gave me a one star rating on Google um, for killing him, for telling him not to get the vaccine. But I don't tell people to not get the vaccine. Well, it's kids. Kids should not get the vaccine, hands down. And I would argue that a lot of other people shouldn't, but I don't, I don't actually say you don't get the vaccine. You have to do what's right for you. That's what I really say. Um, but yeah. unless, you're a, unless you're an obese kid with diabetes, you shouldn't be getting the vaccine either. That's, to me, I think it's criminal that they are even mandating it. Um, anyway, so um, so she did that. Um, but so we've lost like four that I know of. You know, yeah. there could have been some more, but not all these people were our patients. So we were seeing people from all over. And of course, it's horrible, any death. But let's think about that. Only four. And right. I would. None I would, of them were my patients. Might, and it might be safe to assume that they probably waited to come because that's what yeah. happens is Dr. McCullough, Dr. McCullough, I remember him saying this on a podcast. And so many of them, everybody's like, well, it's mild. It's just a little bit like it, it always starts out mild. Now, right. maybe the new variants may be different, but. It, he said it has always started out mild. It's not like the flu where all of a sudden you wake up and you feel like you got run over by a truck. This is what I've heard. I have not had COVID that I know of, or maybe I've seen I the mix, but yeah, some people that start off mild would end up getting sicker. So they're like, oh, I'm fine. And um, the, the other two, I have patients of mine that end up with long haul COVID stuff or the two that did not get treated. Mm-hmm. Like everyone who got treated, they didn't even have long haul COVID stuff either. Yeah. But I had two men that came to see me, other patients, they came on oxygen. Now I'm doing these virtual visits. Um, their primary care doctors said they, they, they put them on oxygen, but they wouldn't give them nebulizers. They wouldn't give them inhaled steroids. They wouldn't give them oh albuterol, nothing. That's literally, that's how much I'm like, treat the symptoms, the doc, but the doctors are either so on the side, nope, no treatment at all, or they're afraid to treat. Mm-hmm. They're afraid to treat them because they will get in trouble. They will get in trouble. They will be fired from their job that they treat. 
this how do we sleep at night? That's what I wonder. Like, how do you sleep at night? You know? And, um, and can we talk about the kids? Can you, yeah. can you touch on kids? Cause yeah. I think that a lot of parents, you know, um, they're even parents who have like, were comfortable with the vaccine for themselves are definitely not comfortable or they're on the fence or they're, but right. they're still scared. And of course now all these variants and, and the media hyping it all up. Like I think anybody and whether they get, whether the kids get vaccinated or not, it doesn't have to be about the vaccine. It's just keeping them healthy and knowing your options and what to do. And I think that's what parents really want to hear. So to okay. eliminate or decrease the fear. <laughs> right. So, um, there's a lot of things about that. So the, um, and you know, I was trying to like, I've been so busy. Wait, I just opened up the third clinic. I had grand plans of looking up actual statistics for the, like the kids' myocarditis thing. That's Kristen's that's dog. Awesome. Okay, go ahead, Dr. Ben. You were looking up. That's that. awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> so anyway, um, but I had grand plans looking, but honestly, I saw data like all over the place. If you look at the extremely, the normal, articles oh no it's super rare blah blah and there it doesn't happen even though it's a black box warning now on the vaccine and I've seen at least over 90 like 90 96 percent of um, cases of myocarditis and pericarditis resulted in hospitalization so even though they keep saying it's mild almost all were actually hospitalized for the myocarditis pericarditis hmm. issue right so kids are pretty much the risk of kids dying approaches zero it, and, and again, I'm 48, my risk is 0.03%, counting all people in the United States. Yep. So the younger you go, the less likely you are to die. It doesn't mean no one dies. Some people do die. I mean, I could die tomorrow. I could die today, you know, um, from any infectious disease. I mean, sometimes stuff happens, but the risk is actually approaches zero for a child dying from COVID. The vaccine does not decrease infection. It does not, it might, well, someone argue that it decreases risk of infection, but we don't really know. We know it, it might make you more likely to be asymptomatic. And so you have higher risk of asymptomatic spread. So you can have it and not realize it. So a lot of people might have a little sniffle or a little sinus thing and they have COVID and they're sitting there spreading it. Mm. Um, it does not decrease you from spreading it from one person to the next. All it does, at least in the past, is theoretically decrease the risk of you um, from being hospitalized or for more outcomes. But Actually, when you look at the end data too, Peter McCall was talking about, it actually still didn't decrease death. It might decrease hospitalization, but it actually the death rate was pretty similar. But again, our problem is that what's real, what's not even real for that, because a lot of the testing is using PCR, which is faulty testing. Um, like when people put stuff on death certificates, which one really died from COVID versus with COVID, there's just lots of controversy. But kids, there's no controversy. They are not dying from COVID. Yeah. Unless they're okay. usually very complicated health issues, obese, diabetic, like there's a lot of increase in kids with adult, like, like diabetes kind of thing. So, and the real risk is myocarditis and pericarditis. And I've heard of two kids locally end up needing heart surgeries as oh a result gosh. of heart damage done too with the vaccine. And yet I'm seeing all of my doctor friends vaccinating their kids. And I've, there's doctors out there saying that we won't be safe until every baby is vaccinated. Oh my gosh. Doctors are, why are they minimizing myocarditis and pericarditis? I mean, this was, this is not just something that like, oh, you, you may get a cold, like, right. They're saying, oh, it's temporary. It's temporary. They're like, it's, it's just temporary. temporary. It's okay. They're, and most of them are out of the hospital or they may, they may not have to go to the hospital, but what people don't realize is in the children's study with Pfizer, they are, they are watching them for the next five years. 
because that's how long it's going to take for them to, you know, really see what damage is going to be done. Well, and we don't they, know. <laughs> and they were based at, you know, that study that I talked about last time that Stacey Kay, when she was on that healthy discourse, I didn't even look at the FDA, the, I mean, the Pfizer study until then. And just knowing that like, it was only a study of like less than 3000 kids, I believe, and only 1,718 don't, mar I mean, I may be wrong, but those are the numbers that are popping out. Those are the only kids that were vaccinated in the study. And that's the study that they have used to like administer, you know, give the advice to vaccinate 28 million kids. And when they sit here and say, oh, we don't have big enough studies for other medicines. And like they're using this as that's our what they use. But guidance. That's, what using. that's our guidance. Well, then, well, the kids are still not being hospitalized. So how is it 100% effective if, you know, no one's being hospitalized? What, what, what are you really comparing it to, right? So you're, the kids are not being hospitalized. The risk of them being hospitalized is super low. I've actually known two brothers, but the brother was overweight. He was unhealthy, you know, and he had a pretty rough case. Delta is no joke, but it's not. Most kids I know, they're like, the parents are like, wow, we all had it. But the kids were like, never down. No. You know, they're just they're like colds or anything like that yeah. they are not being affected so we don't know so this that when you get you know myocarditis pericarditis you end up with scar tissue you can get scar tissue 96 percent were actually hospitalized 96 percent you know hospitalization rate for a covid vaccine induced but i've seen articles oh no it's way worse with covid virus you know compared to the covid vaccine but mccullough McCull was talking about the differences between it it was actually way worse for the covid vaccine induced i wish i remember the exact numbers i don't want to say because i don't want to say it wrong but then also the Japanese study from a year ago showing bioaccumulation data. So they went through the autopsy to figure out where is this accumulating, this vaccine, the spike protein. And it's mostly uh, being uh, accumulated in the ovaries. That's the highest rate of accumulation is in the ovaries. Yeah. All year we've been hearing people with weird periods or people in menopause suddenly have periods again or women at irregular periods. What are we doing to our kids? We literally don't have data. We don't know what it's going to do to the fertility, what's going to do their periods. Are they going to, I mean, we don't know. We don't even have a concept of, of what is going to come. No. So the idea of vaccinating girls is nuts. But also, let me point out an interesting little factoid here. So when my grandmother was pregnant with my mother at five months, my egg that made me was already present in my mother's ovary. Right. That's right. All right. So think about that. So all these women that are pushing on pregnancy, oh, it's safe in pregnancy. Are you kidding me? Yeah. It's taken decades to learn that Tylenol is not safe in pregnancy. And yep. we're still just getting the word out, right? Decades. It took 20 years to find out that bisphosphonates, like Fosamax is like causing more fractures in women. 20 years. There's lots of things we don't know the long-term effects of. Yep. Well, so, and, and I, I agree. again, we, a risk-benefit situation here. It, it, the, the, if you're just looking at the child, there's virtually no risk of COVID. All right, we can we can essentially say that there's no risk, but there is a risk in in the vaccine. But here's what I think the justification of vaccinated kids is: it's about adults. The adults are asking the children to save themselves. They're like, well, right. I'm so terrified of this disease that I have a 0.03% chance of dying from that I'm going to go make this child take a vaccine for a disease they will not even die from or even get really that sick from so that I'm protected. And it is the most selfish crap and greedy and evil, I swear. And it doesn't even prevent transmission. Evil. It doesn't prevent transmission. And it wasn't even tested on the variants that are here now. 
I mean, it's going to be like the flu. Okay. I'm sorry. It, the vaccine is going to have to be based on the most prevalent variant, which is why it's not effective. I mean, you know, I mean, is that what you, I mean, that's my, that's my. Well, the Omicron's coming out now. The Omicron supposedly is like mild headache. It's super mild and less, even less contagious from what they were saying. The funny, I don't know if y'all know this too. I know this is kind of like not exactly on topic, but the Omicron is all over the world already. It's already in the United States. They're already finding it. Like Cornell, they closed down. 100% of the students that actually had the Omicron variant were fully vaccinated, by the way. Um, so it's all over the place. However, guess why they call it the South African variant? Because South Africa has the lowest vaccination rate in the entire world, like 6%. Yes. They have the lowest death rate in the entire world. South Africa has judged, you know what? We don't really need your stinking vaccines. We're doing fine down here. Two days later, South African variant Omicron is a threat to us. They, they grounded their planes. They had economic sanctions for saying no to the vaccine. Yeah. This is what everyone's afraid of. And the spike protein is all the heck mutated, completely mutated. So this vaccine is not likely to do it yet. Israel's starting to require the fourth dose yep. of the vaccine to protect us from this. And they're gonna, they've already said we can come out with the next um, vaccine for this variant in 100 days. So people keep saying, I'm going to get vaccinated so I can live a normal life. You're never going to live a normal life. No. You will never You will never be up to date. All the people who's gotten now three boosters are now considered out of date within a year yep. in Israel. Those people are considered out of date and have to go get the fourth booster. Yep. Welcome back to the You're world of the unvaccinated. <laughs> right. I mean, it's almost comical. It's almost comical, right? Okay. So I know we've almost asked it is. Yeah. I know we've asked this before, but the how are they testing the because you only get a positive or negative and then don't they just send a certain percentage off to do the further genomic testing or whatever so how do you how do they even know? i mean like what can i can we see those <laughs> yeah i think what's kind of interesting i see stuff all over the place there um they have certain centers across the country that i think they do batch testing so then they do mathematical models sort of like the flu vaccine but well, this flu death for instance is a mathematical model so when they say eighty thousand a year die from flu on the website, it says they die from flu and pneumonia. So they include all cause pneumonia and with the flu. But then they also add in all deaths between like December to March or whatever it is. I don't know the exact details, but they, they take a certain amount of deaths from that time to add to it. So they come up with a mathematical model because we don't really know. Mm. So they do mathematical models all the time, right? And so this is what they're doing. They're taking little batches here and there just to kind of see the prevalence in the area. And that's how they figure it out. So, but they tested... The ones at Cornell University, they found it's all Omicron, but like I can tell you, my test just says positive or negative. Mm -hmm. um, I assume maybe they do it at academic centers and stuff like that. I don't know. Okay, but, so, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, this is completely probably going off the subject. No, 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 it's not. This is probably a little bit going in a different direction, but I'm just so curious um, from your integrative and more holistic approach to medicine. For people who have been vaccinated or parents who have vaccinated their children and now like Kristen and I know um, a lot of things that we didn't know back then. Um, and even adults who have been vaccinated from that side of medicine, are there things that we can do for our kids or for ourselves to detox from, because you know, like when you put a vaccine in, like it never goes away, right? It's always there. But are there things that we could do to just help mitigate future things that could come about from these vaccines like that you see? I think in general, everyone, regardless, like a lot of kids do tolerate vaccines pretty well. They don't have major issues. Um, but regardless of what the issue, even in functional medicine, so functional medicine is a root cause of medicine where we look at healing the gut, doing nutrition, look at the environment. 
And the environment could be mold in your house versus a toxic spouse. You know, it could be whatever it could. So we look at the whole thing. And so regardless of when people come to me with they have fibromyalgia versus rheumatoid arthritis versus mold issues, I, I, the same approach goes with everything. This is kids with vaccine reactions. You work on healing the gut. You do good probiotics. Um, and you don't have to do probiotics. You can actually do fermented foods like kimchi or like sauerkraut or pickles or like good pickles. So you can do fermented foods every day um, versus doing a probiotic. Um, eating from the rainbow. Like tell kids eat from the rainbow every single day. All that detox is cilantro is a heavy metal detox, right? So cilantro can detox um, lead and mercury. So you, if you do a good variety of food, and this is where you parents, you blend stuff into your sauces and soups so the kids don't know what's there. You, you blend it to oblivion and they have no clue they're getting it. And so you do that and you practice good bedtime because why circadian rhythm is important to honor because you go to sleep, uh, adults, we go to sleep by 10, you get up early. And so that time our body's truly repairing itself. And, and if kids have erratic sleep schedules and they're off kilter and they don't sleep as well, their bodies are not going to repair. Um, I would say avoiding inflammatory foods. Now that's different for everyone, but in general, like wheat, sugar, dairy. Now I love dairy and I'm not anti-dairy. Just so you know, I'm a big bacon eating like woman. So like, it's not, I'm anti-meat, but you, meats, you have to get better quality meats. Um, if you can't afford organic meats, you just eat less. You get the organic meat, you share it, eat smaller portions. Um, but you need, you are what you eat. So if the cow is like eating grains and is abused and sick, you're going to get inflamed meat to eat. If you have a happy cow eating grass and they're seeing the sunshine, that meat's going to have high omegas and good, better quality meat for you to eat. So you would eat better quality meats. Dairy, dairy is interesting because I know that um, the dairy here is not like, I have a, a family here from Dominican Republic who have to, they have to carry EpiPens for dairy exposure. They'll end up in the ER. They go to Dominican Republic and they can drink milk. So it's, you wonder about, is it our dairy? Like what is our dairy eating? You know, our cows eating, you know, so you try to get better quality organic grass fed or some people get raw milk, which is illegal in North Carolina. We can put chemicals in your food. We can give you experimental vaccines and a child at five can choose their own experimental vaccine on their own way choice, but they cannot have raw milk because it's dangerous, right? Mm -hmm. So it all makes sense in this world. So, um, but dairy tends to be very inflammatory. It, it tends to produce snot, like kids with uh, recurrent ear infections and tonsil stuff, get them off of dairy. It fixes most of them. Yeah. I mean, it saved my kids from a tonsillectomy and tubes in their ears. Within a week of stopping dairy, their issue was solved, literally no yeah. dairy. And now I'm talking about when the one had one, she's sick a day and she stopped that her tonsils went down. So she stopped snoring. So make sure that you're low inflam inflammatory diet. If you do that, honestly, that's adequate for most kids. Now, I have some kids who have regressed um, after vaccines or they've, um, or around that time, if, even if it wasn't immediately around that time, they seem to regress. Those kids, I go a little bit deeper and I might do some heavy metal testing or, um, but I still have to do the groundwork. You still do the groundwork and just that alone, even in kids with autism, suddenly their behavior improves, just getting rid of gluten and dairy. There's a protein that it's like their brain has this allergic reaction to it and it creates this state for them. You get them off of that and suddenly their behavior improves just by doing that. So then I'll go 
through and give them mitochondrial support. I'll check heavy metals and we can be a little bit more intentional. But most kids, honestly, you just need to fix their gut nutrition. This is, you don't need to go see anyone special for that. You just fix their gut nutrition, diet, the environment, and have good air purifiers. You, you have good, um, I got a whole house filter. I have an underwater, under the sink reverse osmosis filter, which you do need minerals to so make sure you're doing Himalayan sea salt. Himalayan sea salt has like 84 trace minerals that you can add into the food, add into the water. All those are important and, and just make sure they're nutrient sufficient. Yeah. Cod liver oil, those kind of things. Well, and we know, um, Dr. Benton, that there are going to be a lot of listeners that are all throughout the U.S. We have Canadians and Australians listening to us, um, but they're going to want to find a doctor like you. And first of all, I would love for you to tell people how to find you and the clinics that you have established. So can you can you share a little more about that for us? Yes, I'd love to, because I also want to talk about the hospital, too. I'm yes, talk about yes. Hospital. please, yes. Uh, now, in North Carolina, um, to find like-minded doctors, the, the you look at PAVE, the, what is it, the people advocating for vaccine education, PAVE.org, is Lisa John. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, she has a list of doctors. Look up, if y'all could, like, give that, look at that. Um, page. Yeah, we can give that link. Um, okay. Yeah, give that link to her. So she can help you find the doctors, at least in North Carolina. Um, you can look for doctors on physicians for informed consent, the AAPS, America's Frontline Doctors. You, those are good doctors to kind of look for. Now, my clinic, I'm Benton Integrative Medicine. So my website is bentonintegrative.com. Um, and if you want to learn about, I would tell you about my hospital thing, is it's bentonintegrative.com backslash compass, C O M P A S S. Um, so I'll go into that in a second, but we have a South Charlotte office in Cotswold area, Huntersville Clinic, and then I'm over now in the little Denver, it's just, it's actually five minutes from home, so I just opened my own little clinic, because I ran out of space, so we just had to hire more people, thanks to growth, so we have um, five amazing mid-level people, and like nurse practitioners, PAs, and they do great, they're integrative trained, um, and they're open-minded, and they're all about informed consent, respecting parents' decisions, and we have the whole spectrum. We have people who want natural stuff and don't want natural stuff, but yeah. they just don't, they just want to be respected. They just want to be heard. You know, yes. I have people who vaccinate, who don't vaccinate. So they want to be heard forever. and they want to they have, have more, heard. they want to have more autonomy over their own health, their own bodies. And right. so what I love about you, Dr. Benton, is you're not saying there's a one size fits all and you're not anti-Western medicine or anti-vaccine you are just about really getting to the root causes like you said it was one of the first things you said was my job is that you don't have to see me right that I am a teacher right. doctor means teacher I'm going to teach you so that you don't have to see me so many of us are craving this but we don't know where to find it so Benton Integrative right dot com is that what it is dot com yes okay. and, and then the hospital so after the doctors are literally saying on all the physician chat rooms across the country that the unvaccinated deserve to die. They don't deserve treatment. Articles are talking about triaging out people who are unvaccinated. I've already had patients who have been mistreated and abused in the hospital system. Um, people are dying alone. Their families are not allowed to come see them as they're dying. Babies are being taken from their mothers, um, you know, at birth and held from them for two, two weeks if remotely positive. It's awful what's happening in our medical system. It's, and is being promoted and defended by the majority of doctors I know. So when I had a doctor who I knew from med school saying that unvaccinated people deserve to die, she basically said, if you come to me and you've not chosen to be vaccinated, I will honor your choice to not be treated until your very end. And she wrote that on my Facebook page. No. 
So I cried. I was like, cause I was like, wow, this is someone who I knew who I thought, wow, it's really, it, it hit home. Like it's not just doctors out there it's people I know are saying this. So, Evil. Um, That's some so my boyfriend was like, we cannot let her lower our vibration. We have to, what are we going to do good at this? So I was like, right. Yeah. And God just put on my heart. We're going to open up an integrated hospital um, just Northwest of Charlotte in little Denver. And um, this is amazing y'all within I mean, three days I had someone call my office. He didn't know this. He called and said, Hey, I want to like come talk to Dr. Ben about COVID. And can I just have lunch with her? I'm like, he was a patient for a couple of years ago, hadn't seen. And so I said, like, stick him on my schedule. Um, and then when he came, he says, you know, here's my labs. The labs are fine. I'm fine. I really don't know why I'm here. I just want to talk to you about COVID. So I told him my idea. And within, he's like, oh, I'm an architect that all I do is build hospitals. Stop. I just no got jokes. chills. That's God. That's, that's that God. Is this is God, right? It so is. he literally did not know. Within 24 hours, I had another friend. She's been in the movement for about seven years. I've been spoken with her once on the phone prior to this. And she said, Kami, I just felt the need to talk to you. What's going on? Told her my idea. She's like, oh my gosh, I just talked to this guy yesterday. He's going to call you. So an hour later, this guy named Mike calls me from California. He's a retiring electrical contractor from California who's only done hospital work for 25 years. And he and his five siblings had never been vaccinated. And so he's like, and they're all healthy triathletes. He's like, this is near and dear to my heart. I want to be a part of this. So um, about a couple of weeks later, I have my manager's brother met some dude at the, uh, some gentleman at the, uh, at an oil change place. And this guy comes and sit here like in my hippie, I don't wear shoes to, in my office very often. He comes in his little suit to meet me and um, talk to me. I basically red pilled him. He had no clue of the controversies and everything, but um, he, this guy builds hospitals. He, he, he just retired. He was the construction side of building the hospitals. He just retired, sold his business, but his son's still high up in the company. And he, at first he was like, cause I was telling him all this like stuff, all the controversy. He was just not prepared to hear that. And he's like, I'm a little overwhelmed and intrigued. <laughs> so I sent him some information and he says, stay in touch. I'm still processing. Next thing I know, the architect texts me Halloween night. Guess who I'm sitting beside? The, that man's son is the architect's best friend. Oh, oh my gosh. Oh and so he's like, so basically two critical people who build hospitals came to me independently without me asking. That's God. I mean, I got, I'm, there's I'm, no I got, other. I have, I have no other explanation. <laughs> So basically right now we're in the process. We are trying to raise money. Now it's kind of funny. He said, he says, well, we need at least $5 million, but ultimately we need about $20 million. I'm like, okay. I'm oh. like, how are we going to raise that? He says, don't worry. I've got the fundraiser people, but however, we are in the pro uh, process of working with lawyers and figuring out this stuff. So we do have like an immediate need of about $75,000. Um, and we have set up a nonprofit. It's called Compass Integrative Health. And, um, and again, you can get that information, bittenintegrative.com. Um, com backslash compass, C-O-M-P-A-S-S. -S, and it has a link that people can donate there if they want to support the first integrative hospital in the United States. Ooh, um, yes. and, and so, but we, we have some immediate needs of like sort of the short-term stuff. And he says, he's going to get someone who raises the big money, but I need some of the short money for right now to help us in, in this transition and try to get, because my goal is to create um, telemedicine, uh, integrative uh, urgent care, uh, birthing center, an outpatient day center. And then once that gets going, then we'll create the inpatient 
so this is not going to be a quick process, but it's, it's in a small area. We want to have like integrative opportunities like acupuncture, homeopathy, chiropractors be able to come, oh. sound healing, people want like energy work, you, not? you know, <laughs> spiritual. We want to be able to address the spiritual needs and even honestly have the creative idea of can we like create rooms that people we can roll up like a garage door and roll people outside to the sun so they can yes. like, in bed, so they can see the sun and have family come visit them outside outdoors uh, and have yeah. creative architecture um, to support sort of our newer needs because the old hospitals are just so they're not prepared for this and the thing is we're saying prepare for this we've always had this stuff around anyway we've created a whole new level of fear that people are aware of that they don't necessarily need to be um but let's say for these like things that people want to feel more comfortable we have a way of managing that to keep people safer and manage um infections in a safer way and and but also i want the people i'm going to be training people of how to undo their, their traumas from the regular medical system. So oh. the actual healthcare workers, the nurses, the respiratory therapists, the doctors, because we are all bitter and cynical and hateful. Like I find yes. most, I don't like most doctors, right? I just yeah. don't. Oh, They're I have angry. the same problem. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I really want to be able to be, I want this to be a space of spiritual growth for the people who work there. Yeah. And, um, that they can come and like heal from, like undo the old system because we cannot bring down the current medical system. We're not gonna tear it down by us throwing rocks at it. What we do, we create part of the new medical system. We are gonna create the new medical system together collectively that's based on love and compassion, good medicine. Good medicine means all the choices, right? And respecting the people. And and we're gonna be a place of healing. Yes. we're going to be, we're going to create the new medical system. So people have an outlet from the old medical system to grow in here. And my goal is that this will be the beginning and we'll put this all over the country and around the world of creating the new medical system. This will be part of the new earth. Oh my well, God. We, we, we have to want like a parallel healthcare system. Right. Like that's what we need, you know? Yeah, right. And so what we have to realize is that all this painful stuff that we've experienced for really decades, but especially the last two years have been absolutely necessary people unfortunately are going to have to die, you know, in mass numbers to wake us up because we are very comfortable beings. We don't like to be put out of our comfort zone. So this is God saying like, listen, y'all are being shaken up until y'all have to really make a decision. Do you really want to stay in this place of fear? Do you want to stay in this place of control? Yeah. Or do you want to say, Hey, I want to be free. And until every person realizes that we're not really free, we're not going to wake up from this. And so we have to be, we have to be the light. God put us here. We, I believe God chose us here for this moment in history yes. and all my experiences through all my medical misadventures, all my experiences in medicine and my distrust of the current system is what has prepared me. And this fight I've been in for like the last seven years has prepared me for this moment right here in history. God put us here for now, here now. And he built us with the, the with the desire, with the love, with the passion to do something new and different and and for some people, it's scary. For me, it's absolute necessity. I cannot live in the old system and, and, and live in love and live in peace and go to sleep at night and know who I am in that old system. I'm not part of the old system. Oh, well, and we feel the same way. And we have craved this, Dr. Benton. I mean, we are, I don't think there's even a coincidence that we're connected and that we're getting to put this podcast out today because I know there are listeners all over the country that are craving this, desire this, and can help 
fund it, help spread the word, um, because we do have to make the new wineskins, I think, right? It's just, it's time. We can't, we cannot go back to the old. It's broken. It's not working. We're worse off than we've ever been, really, um, in terms of progress has not made meant health for America. And so we've, we've got to change it. And I am so thankful for the boldness and the courage. And I know that written into your DNA, obviously you were not a conformist. You know, you just couldn't have been because conforming, you know, a person who's not meant to conform, we can only do it for so long. And I'm the same way. I've got a challenger personality. It's like, I can follow the rules and I can do the things for a certain amount of time, but I'm going to bust wide open. <laughs> I'm going to keep doing it. And right. I know Kristen and Amy have so much of that in them too. And we want to rally the voices. We want to rally the people together. We want to get the information because, again, that's what our podcast is about. It's not about opinion. It is about literally finding the science, the facts, the data that supports the conclusions we draw. And so we're going to put all these lists of resources that Dr. Benton gave. It's going to take us probably a couple of days to get all this stuff put together so that our listeners have it. But we want you to know how to get in touch with Dr. Benton's practices, how to find others like her, um, other doctors like her, and really just help yourselves on your way to optimal health and to mitigate the fear that we have been shoveled, has been shoveled down our throats for two years. It's time to be done with it. Um, read also, just real quick, read The Real Anthony Fauci by Robert Kennedy. Oh, Jr. yes. That, yes. That, okay. that one gives you... That one gives you all the day to day. And I have to give myself a little, you know, he mentioned me in the front of the book. I'm listed on the oh. uh, 100 healthcare heroes. Yes. Yes. I'm telling you, <laughs> you were the, you were the, you were the great hope for my sister and me when we uh, started down this rabbit hole and really out of necessity, like it happens for all of us, right? I thank God for the bad things we've been through because it led us to truth. And if you search for it, you will find it, right? And so yes. definitely read Dr. Kennedy's book. I know even Alex Berenson is promoting it for a former New York Times writer. Go, go read it. Um, put it on your list this Christmas. Do it because it's important that you know the whole story. So this all starts to make sense. Dr. Ben, thank you for being with us. Thank we're, you so much. We're going to bring you back on more in the future for yeah. more of these conversations. I, I envision <laughs> another, another episode. Oh, we got more to talk about. We got more. Thank, thank you. you. So, thank you so much. All right, guys. Happy holidays. We'll see you after Christmas. Bye, y'all.